Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. He's a renowned English journalist, a two-time Pulitzer Prize finalist, and contributing columnist at the Washington Post. He's given the world several books, including a great one about hedge fund history. I know many of you have enjoyed because you've written to me about it. More money than God. Sebastian Malaby joins us to talk about his new book, where he takes on the history of venture capitalism. It's called The Power Law. Welcome, Sebastian. Great to be with you. What does successful VC investing rest on? That's a great question because it's so different to other kinds of investing. You know, when you invest in public markets, you try to figure out the value of an asset by discounting the future cash flow. When you're doing a venture investment, there is no cash flow. It's an early stage idea, not even a company yet. Uh, all you have is two-legged mammals walking into your office with a dream. So what you have to do is imagine, tell yourself a story about how great this idea could turn out to be if it worked. Don't focus on why it might not work, but focus on how great it could be if it did work. And if the potential seems really big, then it's worth taking the high risk of backing a fledgling company. From your interviews for this book, do you get a sense that Silicon Valley's dominance in VC is secure for the future? No, I don't. I think it's spreading around the world, this formula. You know, it's come to China starting around 2000, 2005. It's moved into Southeast Asia. I know Singapore has a lot of activity. In fact, at the start of my book research, I was in Singapore for a week uh, speaking to VCs. So I had a good time there. And it's a big thing in India. It's spreading in Europe. It's even in Latin America. I've done interviews with VCs in Africa. So I don't think Silicon Valley is going to be as dominant in the next 20 years as it was in the last 20. Is there a replicable sort of formula to successful VC investing? You touched on risk, you know, given what you've seen across different geographies, is there a replicable formula or are there clear differences? I think it's pretty replicable. I mean, I was amazed when I went to China and I did the research for my chapter about China, how similar the playbook was in China compared to the United States. I mean, I thought that it's such a different country, it's such a different economy. Of course, it's going to be very different. But actually, it was the same US-based venture firms that brought the model to China, and it worked really well there. And so things like giving the early staff equity options uh, mm -hmm. to motivate them, um, having investors that take a seat on the board and are active partners in the startup, um, understanding that many of your bets may fail, but what you want is a minority to make more than 10x to make up for those failures. These things are common across all successful venture ecosystems. And so I think it's a remarkably, you know, standardizable model. Ryle Huang is a chief executive officer of Hillstone Partners, and he recently argued that retail investors should play a bigger role in venture capital investing in the future, and he believes that smart contracts and tokenization will make venture capital accessible to all retail investors. Do you think that blockchain technology is going to change who is participating in VC? I think we've already seen it quite a lot. You know, I mean, the DeFi projects that have 
become unicorns. I'm thinking of MakerDAO, Uniswap, and so forth. Those issue tokens and people can buy them very easily on any exchange. And so that has democratized participation in the creation of new ventures. I think though, there's going to be always a role for the professional investors who don't just provide money, they actually partner with the entrepreneurs, they provide substantive input and guidance, they have experience that they bring to the table. And so I think, you know, some democratization is exciting, but we shouldn't discount the role of professionals. Where is VC flows heading to in terms of innovation? Well, uh, one exciting area is uh, biotech and the creation of new drugs. We've seen with the coronavirus pandemic, the way that the Moderna vaccine was built by a venture-backed company, BioNTech, which partnered with Pfizer, another venture-backed company. And so innovation in biotech, I think, can exploit the same technologies that the COVID vaccine makers exploited. You know, I mean, very quickly sequenced genomes, the ability to edit genes and so forth. I think that's going to be a very exciting area in the next 10 years. Has venture capital been slow on the uptake when it comes to ESG, integrating it into decision making? Yes, I think that's a fair criticism. I think that ESG has issues. You know, it's a complicated thing to decide, all right, the S part, the social part, what are the social values that we care about, we want companies to pay respect to? Well, you know, people's social values differ across geographies. They differ in, you know, different people have different views about what the most important social objectives ought to be. And so it's quite hard for companies to do that without wading into controversy and politics. Um, and I think startups, maybe understandably, try to just sidestep that whole morass by focusing on the mission of creating a new product before they worry about these ESG type issues. What does your book say about why intangible capital, as you've said, has become so important in terms of impact on the world's economy? Yeah, that's a great question because we've seen this transition from a time when companies had capital and the capital goods were, you know, factories and plant and machinery, physical things, as you say. And now increasingly, if you look at the balance sheet of really valuable companies, what they own is software. They have processes, you know, logistics and supply chains and the ability to manage those. They have very sophisticated customer relationships where they have data on customers and they know how to satisfy and target those customers. Uh, and so all these intangible forms of capital are becoming more and more important. And as a result, the type of investor that's going to succeed is different because in the old world with a tangible capital, a stock market investor could look at a financial disclosure and say, okay, I can see that there's you know, plant and machinery and equipment and it's worth X. But with a software project, you know, a software development project at a company might cost, let's say, $5 million to develop. But is it really worth $5 million? Might it be worth $5 billion if it's fantastic software, or zero if the software is rubbish? And so to understand the difference between zero and $5 billion, you have to be a hands-on investor who's on the board of the company, who's really close to it. And I think that favors early stage venture capital and then private equity for later stage. What of your interviews with some of the most successful venture capitalists stand out for you in terms of what matters most in terms of mindsets. You've said most financiers allocate scarce capital based on quantitative analysis, but venture capitalists meet people, charm people, and seldom bother with spreadsheets. That's right. So when I was writing about hedge funds, you know, the joke was that when Lewis Bacon, a famous macro investor, made a lot of money and bought himself an island, it didn't make any difference because he was so insular already. He was this Oz-like figure behind a bunch of screens. Whereas venture capitalists need to be out there 
meeting entrepreneurs, figuring out which ones have got what it takes to succeed, charming those entrepreneurs into accepting capital from you know you rather than your rival venture capitalist and then going off and finding potential people to hire as the first five engineers for that startup so it's a very much a people business and networking business and so vcs are a fundamentally different type of investor type of personality than you find in other walks of life you're a renowned journalist as an author tell us which stories and how do you decide which narratives are worth telling you know it's always a mixture of the vivid personalities the fun stories just the sheer pleasure of the narrative but then i also wanted to make a serious point so there are times when i find fantastic stories and they're colorful but because they don't really move the needle in terms of people's understanding i end up cutting them out so for example arthur rock the first venture capitalist i write about in this book turns out to have had a, a fun friendship with Hunter S Thompson the gonzo writer who who did all that 1970s shock jock literature and i was amused by that i researched it i found out how in fear and loathing in las vegas uh, one of hunter thompson's great novels you know mr rock makes a cameo appearance uh, and i wrote this up and you know it was sort of three or four pages of really fun stuff but in the end i cut the whole thing because it didn't advance your understanding of venture capital and you have to be a bit disciplined in how many pages you inflict upon the reader <laughs> so i'm looking for that combination that sweet spot of intellectual satisfaction and storytelling pleasure will this book help us allocate our own capital better as investors yeah i mean i hope so i think it teaches you to think about venture investing in this power law way where you're looking for the big upside but you're tolerating a lot of failures on the downside. I think by the way that that can be useful in life, you know, sometimes it makes sense to do something that's difficult and might fail, but it's better to try and fail than to fail even to try. So I hope it's a useful book for people. It's a great way to end off. Thank you so much for joining us. Season journalist, the author of the book that we're reading today, The Power Law, Sebastian Malaby. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, great to be with you. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O, available on Google Play or the App Store.